You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, The New York Times had a story this weekend in the run-up to Halloween, headlined, How Horror Stories Help Us Cope with Real Life and Worst Case Scenarios. And reading from the piece, people who watched scary movies involving depictions of mass chaos, such as alien invasions and apocalypses, said they felt more mentally prepared for chaotic shit like the recent pandemic than people who didn't watch those films. Nancy, while I was reading that story, I was thinking of the love cast. Oh, yeah? What were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, in the same way that this story goes into how people who listen to murder podcasts about serial killers feel better prepared to, I guess, spot a serial killer and run away than people who don't, who so have less anxiety about being killed by a serial killer. I think people listen to sex advice podcasts and read sex advice columns like Savage Love for the same reason some people watch horror movies. It's because you kind of, you know, you get run through a lot of worst case scenarios and then you know how to respond in real life if you find yourself in a situation that you read about or heard about on Savage Lovecast. So now I know exactly what to do if my husband leaves little jizzy surprises all over the couch. Because you heard about that on the Savage Lovecast. Yes. Now I know to say, husband, please stop doing that. (laughs) And you now know that if you're dating a doctor and they don't know what a hymen is... Yeah. And they're a lady doctor who doesn't know about lady parts somehow, which they don't cover in medical school very extensively, but still that you shouldn't continue to date that lady doctor. Yeah, maybe not date them. And certainly you don't want that lady doctor to be your lady doctor anymore. No. (laughs) I have to say, though, um, before we get to the business, we have some business to talk about today. Uh, That's why Nancy's joining me at the top of the show. Uh, it's really gratifying. And I've heard this many times where people said because they listened to the podcast, they were in a situation that they'd heard about, maybe heard about multiple times, and they knew what to do. For example, you know, they were being asked to do something that made them uncomfortable or the vibe shifted and they didn't feel comfortable being with this person anymore. And because they'd heard me say so many times, you can pull your pants up at any moment and leave that they did just that. Rather than going through the motions to be polite, to avoid hurting someone else's feelings, they extricated themselves from a shitty situation because they heard about it here, that that's a thing that you can and should do. Yay. Yay. That's good stuff. That was me sucking my own dick, which... (laughs) That was fun to watch and listen to. (laughs) Poor Nancy, trapped in the same room with me (laughs) while I autofillate. All right, let's get to the business at hand. All right, so some of you may know that Dan Savage is not just a podcaster. He also pens a relationship advice column called Savage Love. I have been writing Savage Love since 1991. Good Lord. That's a long time. It is a long time. So if you are under 32 and you can hear the sound of my voice, I was giving sex advice to your parents back in the day, (laughs) back in the day before you existed. But what you may not know is that when the pandemic hit, Dan started giving the column to all these newspapers for free just because he's kind of nice. But I'm not nice forever, (laughs) I guess, because we're moving Savage Love behind a paywall. Uh, Same thing, though, same deal when we created the Magnum Savage Love cast. We began selling subscriptions to a longer ad-free version of the Savage Love cast about a decade ago. We didn't take anything away from people who were already listening to the Love cast. We added more for people who wanted to subscribe. We're doing the same thing with the column, moving the column behind a paywall. There's still going to be a Savage Love that you can read for free, but there's going to be an extra long Savage Love with bonuses for people who are Magnum Savage Love and Savage Love cast subscribers. And for all of you folks who are Magnum listeners, uh, you'll get the whole column for free, just like it's just built into your Magnum subscription. And, um, you know, many of you have heard us talk about the Magnum that also includes um, an extra podcast called Sex and Politics where Dan gets to rant about politics, as is his desire. Or about Henry VIII's <laughs> fifth wife. So you're, you're already going to get that. You're going to get the column. And by the way, the archives to the column go back to 1999, and I've been going back and reading some of those old columns, and it's kind of amazing. I really do recommend that you do that because it's like a history of sex, and it's a history of like our times, and it's also like a lot of 
uh, Seattle history. If you're a if you're a Seattle listener, you'll like find references to all these old businesses. It's really kind of amazing to like read about the state of bisexuality in 1999. I have evolved. <laughs> or like the first time pegging came into use, or hearing you talk about Ralph Nader for the first time, or like reading. But I didn't talk about Ralph Nader and pegging. <laughs> In the same column or the same sentence, I hope. <laughs> nope, nope, those were separated. So it's, it's, I, I, if you become a subscriber, I do recommend you go back to the super old columns. And then another thing is that the Magnum, when you're a Magnum subscriber, you also have access to all, all of the Savage Love casts. And those started in 2006. So if, if you're a micro listener, we love you. You get the past year of Love casts. If you're a Magnum subscriber, it goes all the way back to 2006. So that's a lot of content. Goddamn. Yeah, and we we don't want to make our micro listeners feel like we don't love them too. We do love them. Not everybody has the bandwidth for the full-length Savage Love. There's still going to be the micro Savage Love for non-subscribers and a good chunk of Savage Love, the column available for people who just want a quick hit of my sex advice. But for people who can't get enough for insatiable savage love bottoms, <laughs> there will be, when you become a magnum sub at savage.love, you will get, again, the column, all of the column archives. We're bringing back Reader Response Roundup, where I interact with people who have something to say about the column or the podcast uh, and uh, respond to reader responses. That's going to be coming out on Fridays now. You also get the Magnum Savage Love Cast. You get Sex and Politics. And a new version, we're rebranding Sack Lunch. It's going to be Savage Love Live now. We're going to go for the full Savage Love Live, 90 minutes, two hours. We're going to have guests on Savage Love Live. And that's going to be four Magnum subs only, basically show that we're going to do on the interwebs. And more good news, we're raising the price for the Magnum. For the first time ever. <laughs> We're raising the price from $36 for the Magnum to 40 to be the, the full Magnum sub. So if you want to save four bucks and you're not yet a Magnum subscriber, or you want to give it as a gift, this all starts on November 14th. Subscribe now and you save $4. That you could invest. Yeah, if you invest it now, you can retire by age 45. Take it from Nancy. But anyway, you guys, no matter how you listen or read, we really appreciate you listening to the show and reading the column. Micro Magnum Mini Maxi, we love you. Yeah, we're calling, it's always been the Micro Savage Love cast with ads and the Magnum extra long without ads. So there's the Mini Savage Love, which is a good 800 word chunk of the column. And then there's the Maxi Savage Love, which is the entire column, all the archives, the reader response roundup and the comment threads. That the comment threads are, you're going to be able to read them and participate in them and join what really has become a really interesting and fun community at savage.love in the comments threads. If you're a Magnum sub. Okay, Nancy, I know that conversation made us both uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that was super fun. Let's do it every week. Yeah, let's jack up the prices and change our relationship to newspapers and readers and listeners every four weeks just to keep people on their toes. Why should Twitter have all the fun? So what's on the Magnum this week, Dan? Well, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, which is free for all, tons of listener queue, lots of host A, and on the Magnum, Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Comedian Allison Goldberg, longtime co-host of Two Girls of One Podcast, and now the one and only host of the new live show and upcoming podcast, How to Break Up by Text, joins me to talk about, you'll never guess, How to Break Up by Text. And don't forget, there's also Savage Love every week, The Column. A man got the monkeypox vaccine in secret and now his wife can't sleep at night. What is he hiding besides having gotten the monkeypox shot, which he wasn't able to hide very successfully? Read my answer to that question and more. Lots more, 30 years worth of answers at savage.love slash savagelove. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Love Cast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hey Dan, late 30s cis male uh, from the Midwest. I have a question about my in-laws. Right before the pandemic in February 2020, in couples counseling, I expressed a desire to open up my marriage. 
and it's been a lot of work, but it's been successful. My wife and I are happily married, practicing ethical non-monogamy. In March-ish of 2021, my sister-in-law, uh, through a conversation with my wife, found out about this, freaked out, told my in-laws. Ever since then, they have they have cut me out of the family. I will not communicate with me. They will communicate with her. We are now closing on a house. They're, for some reason, very interested in this, and they've expressed a desire to see the house. And I, I don't know how I feel about this. They just moved as well. They, they wouldn't let me in their house. My wife's expressed, well, maybe they could come when you're not there. I don't know, Dan. Should I let these people into my house and into my space after all we've been through? I'm curious what your wife told her sister about you two opening up your marriage. If your wife was pud, poly under duress at first, but is now into it, is now happily poly, and that's a trajectory that a lot of people follow, you know, it was somebody's idea. Usually people don't arrive at the idea of opening up their marriage at the exact same instant, but it was one partner's idea. They proposed it to the other. The other might have had a negative reaction, or it might have been something they needed counseling about. You say that this came up initially in couples counseling. And then, you know, the person who was pud at first comes around. And a lot of people are uncomfortable when I talk about poly under duress, as if there aren't millions of people, probably many more people out there who are monogamous under a certain kind of duress. I think there are many more muds than puds. But yeah, sex, negativity, shame, it's a thing. And I'm really curious how your wife framed your open relationship when she conversed with her sister about it. If her sister began to have a negative reaction, did your wife begin to you know, pin all the blame on you? And of course, it was your idea initially. But if your wife enjoys this now, is fine with this now, if this is the kind of relationship she wants to have now, she needs to own that, accept some responsibility for that. She was free to end this marriage and leave this relationship if openness or polyamory was unacceptable to her. And she has stayed. So was this presented to her sister and then on to your in-laws, to her parents as a price of admission that she was willing to pay, but reluctant to pay and hates every day having to pay. And that every time you're with somebody else, she cries into her pillow all night. How did she talk about it? Really curious to know. Maybe it's all on her sister. Maybe her sister's a sex negative monster and her parents are sex negative monsters. And rather than see their daughter or their sister as the kind of person who could have an open relationship, they have chosen to see you as some Rasputin like figure with crazy mind control over their poor defenseless daughter slash sister. And you're the monster and they'd rather pin all the blame for this on you than see her as I don't want to say complicit because that's kind of a prejudicial term, but see her as an active and willing and happy participant in the kind of relationship that they, in a kind of relationship model that they disapprove of for all sorts of probably religious reasons. All that said, you know, absolutely not. Your in-laws can't cut you out of their lives, out of the family, and then want to drop by your house. And I'm shocked that your wife, and this is part of what leads me to believe that maybe your wife suggested to her sister or let her sister assume that she was unhappy about this arrangement, about your polyamorous relationship. I'm shocked that your wife would even suggest sneaking them into the house when you're not there. Her parents have deleted you from the family. And what your wife is suggesting is that for an afternoon, she delete you from the house that you two bought together. So her parents who will not be in the same room with the man that she is married to. And I can only assume professes to love so she can sneak them into that house. Yeah, no fucking way. And your wife needs to, if she hasn't already, stand up to her parents, stand up to her sister and come to your defense, advocate for you and the relationship that you two have. 
And maybe this is something you could discuss again with that same couples counselor you saw when you first raised the possibility of opening up the marriage and becoming a polyamorous couple. Because it does seem like your wife has abandoned you, at least where her family is concerned. And as I've said a million times, the only leverage you have over your families of origin, over your parents, when you're an adult child, is your presence. And if your family can't love and accept you and love and accept your partners and respect the choices that you make with your partner about your relationship, you have to use that leverage, the leverage of your presence, and not make yourself present, not have anything to do with your family and tell them why. And certainly you shouldn't allow your family to make themselves present in the home you share with the husband that they will not interact with because you two, by mutual agreement now, are open. Hi, Dan. I'm a pansexual woman in my relationship with a pansexual man, and um, we like to hook up with other people who are into both of us. And so we use various dating apps and kind of find people to hook up with. And we've been seeing a lot of men with the label heteroflexible, you know, when we get into a scenario with a man like that, it ends up that he just, like, wants to have sex with me. It just seems like a, the label is kind of, I don't know, like a way to have sex with women who are not necessarily looking for a heterosexual man. But the man who labels himself heteroflexible is actually just heterosexual. He's acting like it anyway. I've also noticed men use that in a way is that term in a way where it seems like they're trying to go after people who are assigned female at birth and are really attractive to this I believe straight man but you know this person who's has female body parts is non-binary or queer so this man uses the term heteroflexible in a way that it's like seems like it's a sort of like a way to like get in with these people that they're attracted to. So I don't know. My question is kind of unclear, but I just wondered what your take was on all of this. Do you think that there's a need to maybe call out people who use this label in a way that's sort of manipulative or just like a little bit dishonest or something? It seems to me that a guy who uses the term heteroflexible, who identifies as heteroflexible, has identified himself as primarily heterosexual, primarily therefore interested in women or persons who were assigned female at birth, heteroflexibility as a skill set or as a label, it's an attempt to carve out a space that exists somewhere between heterosexual and bi or pan. So if you are meeting up with guys who describe themselves as heterosexual, you and your pan assigned male at birth partner, obviously those guys are going to be primarily interested in you, but comfortable with a little incidental man-on-man or same-sex contact. Heteroflexible guys, so far as I understand the term, and I've been hearing it used and using it in my column for a very long time and on my podcast for a very long time now, heteroflexible guys are okay with bumping dicks during an MMF threesome, but not necessarily on the hunt for dicks, maybe okay with some oral, maybe some foreplay, maybe some even same-sex sex with a woman present usually, but not always. Seems to me it would be a kind of waste of time and effort for you to call out or for me to call out or for anyone to call out heteroflexible guys for being into what I think we should all assume and should be able to predict they would be into. Mostly heterosexual sex with a little squish, a little flex ability around the edges. If you've had bad experiences with heteroflexible guys, if you don't want to get with guys who aren't equally into you and your partner, well, then I think you should not hook up with guys who describe themselves as heteroflexible. You should be seeking out guys who describe themselves as pan or bi. 
Yeah, because a guy who says he's heteroflexible is going to be, for the most part, straight. And a kind of straight that we should celebrate. Used to be that women who wanted to have MMF threesomes really had a hard time getting their partners to agree to it because so few mostly straight or straight-identified guys were comfortable being in the same room with another man who had an erection or was naked. We used to call out guys, straight guys, who wanted FFM threesomes, who wanted to have a threesome with their female partner and another woman, for not being able to go there, not being able to have uh, two men, one woman threesome with their female partner if that's what she wanted because, oh, yeah, it was to be gay. It would be too gay. I'm not gay. I'm not into dudes at all. And we called that out and said, well, that's kind of bullshit. And now the world is filled, thank God, with more guys who aren't quite so hung up on, you know, not being in the same room with another guy who might have an erection at the same time that he does. And most of those guys who are not hung up in that way anymore, who are straight, would describe themselves at those moments as heteroflexible. And I think that kind of heteroflexibility demonstrates progress and is to be celebrated, not called out. It's November. That means it is time to hunker down and sleep in, sleep late whenever possible. And doing that, hunkering down, sleeping in, is a real pleasure when you have a Helix mattress like we do. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Everybody is unique and everybody sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus, and I love these, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz and I was matched with a Midnight Lux mattress because I wanted something that has medium firmness and Terry and I both tend to move around a lot at night. I don't even want to remember our old mattress, our old mattresses, good riddance to them. Not only is our Helix mattress the best I've ever slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10 to 15-year warranty depending on the model, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, and I know you will, but if you don't, they will pick it up and give you a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. That's helixsleep.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at Rescues, early 40s female East Coast trying to decide if I should break up with my boyfriend for about a year or just ride it out. And by that, I mean, I'm going to be moving next summer and he's not coming with me. So I guess, you know, the sex is fun. So I could just kind of like enjoy that part. But there's some other stuff that's just real annoying. I found out recently that he's got a drinking problem. And by that, I mean, he revealed, like he told me he's got a drinking problem after I came over to his house and saw that he was just drunk and I wasn't expecting that. So anyway, his behavior when he is drinking is real annoying and I just don't really have much tolerance for like annoying behavior. Um, anyway, I just like that. He just got real mansplaining. Just trying to decide if like the annoying behavior is worth putting up with for, you know, the next several months. Maybe it is and just have a good time with the sex and Maybe just call it when I leave. And uh, there's a chance uh, my boyfriend's listening to this. So, so, hey, honey. Yeah, we should probably talk. Okay, setting aside the possibility that your boyfriend just found out listening to my show that you're breaking up with him, moving away, and he's not coming with you. You've been dating this guy for a year. 
in that time, you didn't know he had a drinking problem. You didn't know he had a drinking problem until you saw him drunk this one time. So seems to me that although he may have a drinking problem, he identifies himself as having a drinking problem. And I'm not going to doubt you or him when you say, and he says, he confirms or informs you that he has a drinking problem. He has a drinking problem. Doesn't seem like his drinking problem is so severe that you can't continue to safely enjoy his dick for the next few months. I think you should make being sober a condition of seeing you. If he's coming over to yours, he's got to be sober. If you're coming over to his, he's got to be sober. Zooming out for a second, there are a few more questions you should ask yourself. Uh, and I think you would have mentioned these things if they were issues, but I'm going to toss them out there anyway. Questions you should ask yourself if you're going to continue to see somebody, see this guy even casually who has a drinking problem. Are you in danger? Is he threatening or violent when he's drunk? Does he mix alcohol with other drugs? The answer to any of those questions is yes. Well, then you probably don't want to risk being in his presence at all, even if he managed to fool you for a full calendar year and hide his drinking problem until that day you came over and he was drunk to the point of annoying mansplainingness. You will not be enabling him by continuing to see him for a few months on the condition that when he is with you, he is sober. Indeed, you may be, in a small way, incentivizing him getting or staying sober. It may be that confiding in you or admitting to you because you were standing there while he was mansplainingly drunk, it may be that admitting to you that he has a drinking problem being seen by you uh, you know, seeing it in your eyes that you think the drinking is a problem too may encourage him to go get the help that he needs. But that's not your question. Your question is whether or not he gets the help he needs in the next few months, can you continue to fuck him? Because the sex is good. Sure, sure you can. But if you want to be a good person, you know, the kind of person who doesn't break up with people via sex advice podcasts that they listen to, I think you should stick by him for a little bit. I think you should talk to him, encourage him, and keep fucking him if you want to keep fucking him. Encourage him to take the steps he needs to take to get sober. That advice, of course, I really want to emphasize this, predicated on the fact that he is not a currently, a th not currently, not now, not ever a threat to you physically. He's not violent when he's drunk and he's not mixing alcohol with other drugs. Again, if any of those things are true, you shouldn't see him again or fuck him again. You should break up with him right now. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace. When it comes to therapy and psychiatry, getting the help you need has never been so simple. When you're able to access your provider from the comfort of your own device, it means mental health care can be instantly available to you on your schedule. And alleviating the wait times to get an appointment or the travel time to get to an office can free up more time for the rest of your life. The rest of your life that getting therapy is helping to improve. Talkspace is so convenient and so accessible, and it really helps to feel supported around the clock. Talkspace lets you send messages to your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform, which allows you to update them on the challenges and triumphs you're facing in real time so you don't have to wait for your next session. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help shift your perspective. Therapy can give you the tools you need to cope in difficult times and be a guiding light. I recommend therapy wholeheartedly, and Talkspace is a great way to get connected with a great therapist quickly. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace to match with a licensed therapist today. Don't put it off. Go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the Lovecast. That's SAVAGE at Talkspace.com. Hey, Dan. So I have a moral inquiry here. So I have this coworker. We have a really fun relationship. We joke around, and then sometimes it gets like flirtatious and even kind of like underlying sexual uh, undertones. So, But she has a boyfriend, so I never thought anything of it. Just one time. Anyways, we go out for drinks yesterday, me, her, and another coworker. We have a couple of pictures, you know, whatever. Then the other coworker leaves, so it's just me and the coworker in question. I'm like, all right, maybe, you know, let's get going. 
she kind of like wants to stay and have another drink and I'm like, okay, I'm into it. And then it's just me and her, it just the conversation gets like increasingly like sexual, flirtatious, it's kind of like surreal. We leave the bar, I walk her to her car, say goodnight, you know, go in for a hug, give her a kiss on the cheek. And then there's like this like moments where like we're both like looking at each other and it's like, I don't know, I was like, and I just went in for a kiss. And I should have done it, and it's very out of character. And she was like, oh, you know, like, you can't do that. So, like, a joking, like, kind of, like, no thanks. And I, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, it wasn't awkward or anything uh, at that point. It was just like, okay, haha. I was like, all right, see you next week or whatever. I don't know what to do now. Like, how do I address this? I just, like, talk to her and be like, hey, like, sorry. It won't happen again. Can we just, like, act like it never happened? I don't know. Like, what, what do I do? She didn't seem... Like, mad or it wasn't weird. She even sent follow-up texts, even one where she, like, made fun of me or something in a group chat. So it's, like, not a – it wasn't, like, a weird or, like, bad situation. And as soon as, like, it was clear it wasn't a thing, I was, you know, I was immediately like, okay. And anyways, I'm mortified. Uh, I couldn't sleep last night. I was just, like, thinking about this. What do I do? Uh, and am I, am I, like, just, like, a terrible person? <laughs> Please help. It wasn't awkward or anything, but you're mortified – you can't sleep and you're calling some fag with a podcast to ask if you're a terrible person. Sounds like it was kind of awkward to me. Look, I wasn't there and I don't know. Maybe she is in a relationship. It's not an open relationship and she's into you. And this flirtatious relationship that you have is something that she enjoys. She enjoys the attention. She enjoys the affirmation. It could also be possible that you're misreading her and that she is playing along, that you're being flirtatious with her and she's attempting to deflect or redirect and you're not picking up on what might be coming from her, very subtle signals that she's not comfortable with this. It can sometimes be hard when you're into somebody and you want to flirt with them, and the flirting seems harmless to you because they're in a relationship, and you know that they're in a relationship, and you respect their relationship. Dickful thinking can get in the way. You know, what you hope to be true or wish were true, that this person felt the same way that you feel, can cloud your ability to perceive what's actually going on. Now, I want to allow for the fact that maybe what you thought was going on was what was going on here that you are someone that she is attracted to. If she didn't have a boyfriend, she would be all over you in some alternate timeline. You two are together or your uh, temptation and maybe her relationship's on its last legs and she's kind of welcoming this attention from you because it's going to motivate her to get the fuck out of this relationship so she can get the fuck into bed with you. That's also possible. But I'm just guessing. And it is often the case when you're talking about men and women together, women are socialized to defer to men, not say no to men, to prioritize a man's feelings and a man's comfort over their own feelings and own comfort. And that can lead men and women to situations where the woman is politely deflecting or absorbing a, a man's attentions, even the attentions of a man that she likes and not being clear that it's making her uncomfortable and it's not something that she wants. And the guy, without any sort of malicious effort to be manipulative, is unknowingly benefiting from a culture that has set up a manipulative and coercive situation that set the guy up for a kind of failure. If the guy doesn't want to be an asshole, doesn't want to benefit from cultural settings that allow guys in certain circumstances to be assholes. But some guys, you know, bumble into that kind of assholery without any ill intent, sometimes with the best of intentions. Although you are flirting with somebody who's got a partner and that's not necessarily always a best of intentions kind of circumstance. This is a long way of me saying you've got to ask her what happened? And your impulse to lead with, I'm sorry, is absolutely the right impulse. Go to her and say, I apologize. You know, you're partnered. Maybe I was misreading things. I really value you as a friend. I'm obviously attracted to you. I sort of thought we had kind of a flirtatious thing going on. And I, I, I'm sorry. I overstepped a line. I used my lips. 
I used my mouth. I should have used my words. I should have asked you in that moment whether you're in an open relationship, whether you're getting out of this relationship, and what your feelings are for me. Because we've always had kind of, this is me like really gaming out in a big way, the apology I think you should give. We've always had kind of a flirtatious thing going on, and I thought and assumed, but should have checked to make sure that that was okay with you. And that flirtatious feeling was enjoyable for you, and the feelings were mutual, at least around having a flirtation. And I shouldn't have crossed that line and made it, you know, brought it into a more physical realm without having this kind of conversation first. And so I apologize for not asking. And now I'm asking, is the kind of flirting we've been doing welcome or unwelcome? And please tell me. And then listen to her, listen to what she has to say. And if she tells you, look, I I was never really comfortable with it. Don't take that personally and don't get mad at her. It was society. It was our culture that set you up to feel bad, to be mortified that you now learned, if indeed this is the case, that you learned now that you were flirting with somebody who didn't want you to be flirting with them and it wasn't clear enough to you that you needed to knock it off. So yeah, yeah, apologize and ask. Use your words now. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old queer person. I'm engaged to my partner of almost a decade, and we are in an open relationship. My question has to do with someone I have a major crush on and how I should act on it or if I should even act on it. For some context, my crush is a tattoo artist in my area, and they have done two tattoos on me so far. They are a trans mask person, and they are in a non-monogamous relationship with their partner. Both them and their partner are open about their relationship on social media, and I think both of them are extremely hot, but I've never met the artist's partner. So my question is, should I let the artist know about my crush and see if there is potential for us to maybe hang out and hook up, maybe even with their partner, which I would totally be open to? And if so, how should I go about doing this? I really don't want to make them uncomfortable as our relationship so far has been client to professional and I really want to respect their work and their space. I also plan on booking them for future tattoos, so I'm really nervous about being rejected and then things being awkward, but I really think they're talented and I love being tattooed by them because of how kind and professional they are. This is the first person I've been interested in since my fiancé and I opened up our relationship, and I'm so nervous and uncertain about what to do. I think it says something about this day and age that I want to tell you to go ahead and hit on your tattoo artist, that I want to say something like, hey, if you can't hit on your tattoo artist, who the fuck can you hit on? But I hesitate to say either of those things because people are going to jump down my throat because it's not okay to hit on anybody anywhere anymore. And we don't want to live in a world where people are sexually harassed at work. And your tattoo artist, when they're working on you, when they're doing your tattoo, is at work. That said, your tattoo artist probably has an Instagram account. You say that you know what their partner looks like. And I am going to assume it's because you've seen their partner on their Instagram account. If their DMs are open, slide into their DMs some months before your next appointment so you're not going to see them in a day or two. And just say, hey, really love the work you've done on me. Looking forward to getting more done. Also wanted to let you know I'm in an open relationship and I've gleaned enough from you, from our conversations or from your Instagram to know that you are too. And if you were interested, I'm down. Always a good idea when you're going to hit on somebody outside of a space they've entered where they've basically said, go ahead and hit on me like an online dating app or, you know, the certain kinds of bars and clubs and environments where people are like welcoming at least an approach. Always a good idea to, as I like to say, invite the no, say to this person, hey, look, if you aren't interested, just tell me no and it'll be awkward for five minutes next time we see each other. But I promise if the answer is no, I won't ask again. Uh, and I won't bring it up the next time you're working on me. And then take no for an answer. The answer is no. But if nobody ever asks, if nobody ever risks hitting on anybody, the answer is never going to be yes. And for all you know, 
the answer here could very well be yes. But you won't get that yes if you don't ask the question. And if your tattoo artist is interested in you that way, they may not want to get the reputation of being the kind of tattoo artist who hits on clients. So they may be more inhibited in this circumstance than you should be. I think you should disinhibit, slide into those DMs, make that pass, and then see how they feel. Hi, Dan. I'm a gay 30-year-old cis male, and I'm in a relationship with someone who's in their 50s. He is an amazing partner, and I couldn't ask for a better man to be with. But there's a but. There's a portion of me who f- that feels not so sexually satisfied. It's nothing about him. Everything is great. The sex is amazing. But I sort of do miss playing with other people. I miss doing things that connect the social and experimental portion of my life that also included going to orgies and bathhouses and using apps to find central partners. I've told this to my partner. I've t- chatted and we've had a conversation and he's... He's all for it. He's he's 100% about it, but does not want to use apps, does not want to go to the bathhouse. If we would ever have a three-way, he wants it to be organic. He wants the two of us to go to a bar, have a few drinks, chat up with someone, get probably be flirty, whatever, and get we're, we're all drunk and we get home. It's a sloppy, drunk sex fest, which probably won't even happen i mean come on we rarely go out we we are almost home all the time we're fucking slobs like i i I miss all of that i miss going to the bathhouses and everything that i've explained he doesn't want to do anything anything like that and i i feel horrible that i want to do this i feel horrible that i'm even sending this voicemail to you to tell you of my situation and my frustration with my partner about my and also my frustration not being sexually satisfied i don't want to do anything behind his back nor do i want to give him some sort of selfish ultimatum but is there anything that i can do to try to get him interested oh yes the uh yeah the yes the getting the yes from the partner that's really a no the yes that comes with conditions attached that makes whatever it is that you've asked for permission to do most likely impossible. You know, when you tell your partner you want to do X, you want to have a three-way, you want to go to an orgy, go to a bathhouse, have some crazy fun sexual adventures with them. And they're like, oh yeah, of course we can totally do that. When all of these planets align and, you know, they list up the names of the planets and these are planets that will never align. You guys don't go out. If you did go out, you're not going to go out one night, you know, scrape it together to clean the house and get yourselves out of the house, off the couch, out of the house, into a bar. Your odds of running into somebody in the bar that one night are pretty slim. And if that winds up feeling for you like your only opportunity to make this kind of sexual adventure happen for yourself, you may get too drunk, you may, you know, make an impulse purchase that you regret, make a desperate pass, go home with somebody that you don't feel great or totally comfortable about going home with, but they're your only opportunity. And when is this ever going to happen again? And that's how shitty three ways happen to good couples. So yeah, I would go to your partner and say, look, this yes ain't a yes. This yes is really a no in a positive affirmative disguise. This is how people have sexual adventures these days. They get on the apps, they make it happen for themselves and I wanna make it happen for us. And then the compromise here is for you to do the advance work, for you to do the leg, well, not really leg work, more like thumb work on the apps where you find guys and you flirt with them and then you make that appointment for the first meeting, which won't be at your house which won't be for sex. First meeting, and this is where you're throwing a bone, or if it works out, a couple of bones, at your partner. Your first meeting is in a bar, and you meet up in the bar, and you and your partner go a little early. You have a couple of drinks, not so many that you're 
judgment or performance, either of those things will be impaired. Just, you know, a little social lubrication. And then the guy that you've been flirting with on the apps shows up, has a drink with you and your partner. And then you guys, if it works, if you feel good about it, you can roll home. And if you really want to do kind of presidential advance team, advance work, you can have a first meeting one-on-one with this guy, not for sex, because it doesn't sound like your partner would be comfortable with you having sex on your own with somebody else, but just to see if you click and to then make a best guess about whether he would click also with your husband. And then meet up, the three of you, in that bar. Only now, because you did the advance work, the odds that it'll end the way you would like it to end, that night will end the way you would like it to end, and your husband, taking him at his word, would like it to end, are much, much higher. Though I am sorry to add this. I hate to add this. I don't want to pour poison in your ear. But if you set up three or four of these dates, going out to bars to have a drink with somebody that you found on the apps for you and your husband, and your husband's not into it each time, not just the first time, but the second time, the third time, the fourth time, then you're going to have to face the possibility of issuing that selfish ultimatum you don't want to issue or running out and doing these things behind your husband's back, which of course you don't want to do. You'll want to go with the not selfish ultimatum, but honest and straightforward ultimatum then. Okay, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some tweets. Let's read a few tweets from Twitter while I am still on Twitter. Also a mage tweets, such a great surprise to hear Kate Siegel on the latest episode of the Savage Lovecast after I just rewatched Midnight Mass. Dan, there is some blood, but if you can stomach it, this show is absolutely a required watch for lapsed Catholics like us. I can't recommend it enough. I'm going to be spending a week at home alone, dog sitting and getting an early start on the pre-holiday deep clean and Midnight Mass is on my to-do or my to-watch list, so I will see it. Heather Jasper, travel writer, tweets, when you first mentioned the Try Guys on the Savage Lovecast, Dan, I thought you were saying Try Guys and was trying to figure out what a trisexual could be. Well, I googled that for you. We live in the golden age of micro-orientations and taking ourselves way too seriously. So Try Guy no longer just means, or trisexual no longer just means willing to try anything, which was the joke for decades. It now is also, quote, an orientation on the multisexual spectrum that refers to someone who's attracted to exactly three genders. These could be any of the three genders, and the attraction could be experienced either as static or fluid. And yes, trisexuals have their own pride flag, whereas the Try Guys, of course, have their own TV deal. And finally, Brooklyn Bolnese tweets, Dan, you seemed unconvinced about the suggestion from a caller with an unrequited crush on a bandmate slash roommate slash bartender that the heartbroken woman write a song that her crush would then end up having to perform. But we know this is iconic behavior. Brooklyn Bolnese includes a link to a Fleetwood Mac song. Apparently, I just checked with my husband who knows these things, every member of Fleetwood Mac dated every other member of Fleetwood Mac and the band would break up and then they would all write songs about each other and then the band would get back together and everyone would be forced to perform songs about what shits they were to each other when they were dating before they started dating again. I guess if it worked for Stevie, Lindsay, Mick, John, and Christine, it might work out for my caller. So caller, eh, maybe you might want to Fleetwood Mac that and go for it. All right. If you want to hear your tweet come out of my mouth on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And yeah, we'll see how much longer I'm on Twitter at the rate Twitter is burning to the ground. All right. Thanks to everybody who posted to your social media accounts, such as they are this week. We really appreciate how our listeners help spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And now listener response calls. Hey, Dan, I'm calling with a response to the caller on episode 835, who is currently having sex with hopefully her former doctor, (laughs) but the former doctor who is having a lot of pain during, it sounds like, insertion of digits. It may not be the hymen. It could be a myriad of things, including something that my best friend actually deals with called vaginismus. I think that's how it's pronounced. It can be from all sorts of things, but it can definitely lead to pain when there is any sort of insertion, whether it be a tampon or a sexual. It can be trauma related. It, you know, there are just so many things. So I think 
your advice for the doctor to speak with their medical professional is exactly spot on. And I just wanted to offer that sometimes it's not the hymen. Hi, Dan. This is in response to the caller who's having a heart versus head struggle regarding her partner's infidelity. Caller, Dan did an excellent job of helping you analyze your options, and he made all the important points. However, you sound like you're looking for a direct answer, and I would like to offer you one. DTMFA. If what you want from your partner is monogamy, he's already demonstrated that he will not give it to you. My inference is that he's been seeing other women the entire time you two have been together. He's not just having casual sex every once in a while behind your back. He's having full-blown relationships with other women. He had multiple partners while committing to a monogamous relationship with you. That's next-level deceit. He is living a double life. If he can hide something of this magnitude from you without you catching on, you should wonder what other things he might be hiding. Dump the motherfucker already. Hey, Dan. I'm listening to you talk to this young woman whose boyfriend gave her all the compliments that she thought she might have body dysmorphia. And I feel like you, like, missed that whole thing. Like, you're, you're responding to, like, absolutely the wrong thing. She doesn't need a boyfriend who compliments her. Like, no one needs that. They need to get therapy so she can figure out why the hell she doesn't love herself properly and why she needs constant reassurance because that will drive anyone away. So I would say get me to some really good therapy, but you got to do the work. And not doing the work just makes you a sloppy mess of annoying. So, yeah, no. And we're going to leave it. Right there, right there is where we are going to leave it. Got a question for next week's Savage Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Savage Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call us at 206-302-2064. The deadline for submitting your film to the Hump 2023 Film Festival is coming right up December 9th of 2022. We need to have your film in the building for the convening of the Hump Jury. All the details, all the info you need at humpfilmfest.com slash submit. There's no fee to enter Hump. You don't have to pay us to look at your film and think about putting it in our film festival. And if your film gets into our film festival, every filmmaker gets a percentage of every ticket sold. So we will pay you for your Be sure to check out the new savage.love and the holidays are coming and we have beautiful Savage Love Cast t-shirts, GGG and Puck First mugs for sale at savage.love slash shop. A mug or a t-shirt or a mug and a t-shirt paired with a Magnum subscription to the Savage Love Cast. Pretty great gift for the Savage Love Cast fan on your list. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Allison Goldberg on Twitter at Allie underscore Goldie. That's A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L. With Tech Savvy at Risk Youth on Twitter at Lovecast T S A R Y. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.